1: Welcome to New Reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein. Skin care and plastic surgery are hot topics these days. Let Dr. Rubenstein answer your questions and explain what you'll want to look for in aesthetic products and cosmetic procedures. Get ready for a discussion about all things aesthetic. Now, live from Miami, Florida, American Board Certified Plastic Surgeon, Dr. Adam Rubenstein.
2: Welcome to New Reflections. We have a very... Very interesting show for you this week, and it's a serious topic. But before I get to the show, I want to say a couple things. In my backyard up in West Palm Beach in South Florida, there was a clinic That was shut down just a week or two ago for non-licensed doctors performing procedures. And if you've listened to the show before, if you're a regular listener, you know that we talk about doing your homework on New Reflections. We talk about doing your homework in choosing the right place and the right doctor. And I want to give you a little preview for next show. The next show we're going to do is a patient safety special. And we will be talking about making good choices, finding the right doctors, how to research and really get the right information about your doctors. You may be considering to have a procedure. Uh, I'm not going to get into it in detail, but this clinic in West Palm Beach had two different practitioners, neither of which, they weren't licensed doctors, let alone board-certified plastic surgeons. So if you're a regular listener, you know better than to entrust your face, your body, and your life to a doctor and a clinic like that. But this week's show is about an- another serious topic. The show this week is called It's All in Your Head, Psycho- Psychological Aspects of Plastic Surgery. And, and the psychological aspects of plastic surgery start when you're first thinking about having something done. And there are stresses. It can be a wonderful, pres- a, whole, a really life-transforming process. You can have a terrific experience taking you from where you are now to where you'd really like to be, improving your confidence, your self-esteem, your self-image. It can be a tremendous process that is so positive for you, but that doesn't mean that it isn't without stress. There are some stresses that are involved, and today's show is going to be about helping you navigate those stresses, be prepared for them, and if you suffer with any type of mental illness or difficulty, it, you may need to be a, a little more aware. It doesn't mean you cannot go through these procedures. It means you need to be aware and know the kind of support you may need to get through the process. Let's talk a little bit about mental health in this country. and We have two experts coming on the panel today to, to help us talk about that. In 2012 there were 9.6 million adults, the people over the age of 18, with serious mental illness in the United States. That's over 4% of the population. That's shockingly high, in my opinion. One in four adults in a given year suffer with some form of mental illness. 6.7 adults in the United States live with depression. This is a significant problem. When you mix any type of challenge in your mental health with going through a stressful procedure something that is, that you need to be healthy and prepared for that may not have good consequences. You may have heard in the news about a patient in Beverly Hills that, that just ended in a tragedy we 're going to talk about it later in the show and how that may have happened what may have led into that and how You can avoid feeling that way and avoid getting yourself into that position. Let's get into the show. I want to introduce our full panel this, this week. Our full panel includes Dr. David Sarwer, he's a Ph.D., professor of psychology at University of Pennsylvania, and he's a director of clinical services for the Center of Weight and Eating Disorders. We're also joined by James Claiborne, a Ph.D. Uh, Dr. James Claiborne is a psychologist with a special interest in both obsessive-compulsive disorders and body dysmorphic disorder, which is very apropos of what we're discussing today. And rounding out the panel is Dr. Jack Fisher. He is a well-known board-certified plastic surgeon and current president of the American Society for Aesthetic Plastic Surgery. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us and and having a a discussion about this really important issue. Welcome to the show, uh, Dr. Sarwer. Let's uh, start off our conversation a little bit. Uh, When people are thinking about having a procedure, there's a certain psychology that goes into why. What motivates someone to have a procedure? So, can you talk about self-image and and how that plays a role, what the psychology is when you're thinking about having a procedure done? Sure, I'm happy to do it, and thanks for having me on the show,
3: Adam. Um, my colleagues and I, as we've worked in this area for about the last 15 to 20 years, we've really um, begin our thinking uh, on the psychological construct of body image, which is really the, the representation that we all have of our external appearance in our own mind. So it's how we think, how we see ourselves in our own mind, which can be very different from the way that other people see us. And we've done a number of studies that have shown that people who come in for cosmetic procedures typically report higher levels of body image dissatisfaction. They're not necessarily telling us that I'm grotesquely ugly, fix me and do an extreme makeover, as much as they tend to report a very focused dissatisfaction. So a patient who's coming in for a rhinoplasty will say, I'm very dissatisfied with my nose, but there may be other features in my appearance which I'm I'm more or less comfortable with. Or somebody who's coming in for an an anti-aging procedure will say, I don't like this wrinkling. Um, So it's really body image dissatisfaction that we see as the motivational catalyst for money if not most cosmetic procedures.
2: So, And that's nothing that's unusual. I think we all have one thing or another whether it's a physical appearance or some aptitude or you know, lack thereof, or some, something you can or cannot do that you don't like about yourself. And that's not an unhealthy perspective, is it? No,
3: and, and I completely agree that the evidence also tells us that the majority of American women and slightly less than half of American men say that they are unhappy about their appearance, and so there is this kind of normative element to it. Uh, Given the the growth and the problem of obesity in our country, a lot of those concerns are, are focused on weight and shape, but at the same time, many of us get up in the morning and we look in the mirror and we see something with our facial appearance, we see something with another part of our body, and we probably say, boy, I wish that was different, and many people probably go about their day and don't give it a second thought. I think for people who end up presenting for cosmetic procedure, what procedures, what often happens is that they become a little more concerned about those features, and then that's the motivation to go and do something about them. But in some ways, I think it's no different than the motivation that leads other people to eat a healthy diet, exercise regularly, buy cosmetics, or make other fashion purchases as a way to in- enhance their appearance.
2: Sure, only clearly a little bit more of a serious choice. Uh, Dr. Claiborne, we're talking about these ideas that people have about themselves. Could you list a few good reasons, in your opinion, some good motivations to maybe seek a change, like having a cosmetic uh, procedure done, a surgical procedure, and, and maybe then we'll get on to some red flags, some things that may not be such good motivators.
4: Yeah, I think that it's fairly clear that... Uh as we've just heard, the, the, some dissatisfaction with some part of your uh, body or your body image is a, a very normal kind of experience. And if it's uh, to the point where it's, you know, it's troubling, it's uh, uncomfortable, you feel like you'd be more confident, uh, happier with life, uh, then you know, it may be reasonable to pursue uh, cosmetic surgery, something like that. Um, and, you know, if, if it's something like, you know, I've, you've got acne scars or you've got a, a unusual nose or something like that, and booking a little different will uh, help you improve your your self-image, your body image, and uh, make you a little bit more comfortable, then it's a reasonable choice, I think.
2: All right, but so now, it, it, we all agree, I think, that, these are some good reasons. If you're if you a reasonable person and there's something about you you just don't like and you wake up in the morning and you look at it and say, gee, I really wish I could make it better, then that's not a bad motivator. But let's talk a little bit about red flags. Dr. Fisher, you've been in practice a long time. And, you know, classic teachings in plastic surgery, when you're talking about patient selection, include certain red flags. So could you... Talk to us a little bit about the type of patient that walks into your office and sits down in front of you, and you're thinking to yourself, there is just no way that this person should ever have a procedure at this point. What are those things? What, what are the red flags you see?
5: Well, thank you, Adam, first for pointing out how old I am by emphasizing <laughs> how long I've been in practice. But I have been in practice for 30 years, and there are a lot of cues that all of us as plastic surgeons pick up. Uh, One of the things that helps is I've had uh, a great nursing staff that have been with me for many years, and they're very sensitive to a lot of these issues. And they'll, you know, bring a patient into a room and talk to them for a few minutes, and often they'll report some cues that are very, very relevant to the patient. You know, when you walk in a room and a patient's got a bunch of pictures of different faces and starts going through it saying, I want to look like this or I want to look like that. I mean, that's, that's not typical. Uh, and also when the patient shows significant distress over what most of us would consider a minor issue and is sitting there tearful and, and, and very distraught, uh, there are a lot of emotional cues that we all pick up on Especially over the years with our experience. You know, the patient who says this one issue is ruining my life and making me unhappy. As we all know, aesthetic surgery can make a happy patient even happier. But when you see the patient who's under, in great distress and thinks that doing a aesthetic procedure is somehow going to turn their life around, uh, that's another cue. So a lot of it is that interaction we have in that first meeting with patients, and you just pick up a lot if you have that sensitivity uh, to the patient's uh, distress.
3: So, yeah, Adam, I would I would completely agree with with Dr. Fisher, particularly that last point about the notion that that you know aesthetic procedures, as I view them from a psychological perspective, are really designed um, to to take people who are doing well psychologically and build upon that to even greater improvement. But they really aren't designed to be treatments for more underlining, underlying psychopathology, such as major depression or significant anxiety. And, uh, you know, the other thing that I, I encourage people who are considering cosmetic procedures to think about, in addition to the nature of the, the, the defect, and is it something that a surgeon can, can actually treat, also has to do with both their motivations and expectations, that I think it's important that patients are motivated for internal reasons, that they are truly seeking these procedures to feel better about themselves, and not because perhaps they're being unduly pressured by a friend, a family member, a romantic partner who's saying, yeah, you really should do this to, to improve our relationship. And then I think it's also critically important that patients have realistic expectations, As as you all well know, some of the best work that cosmetic surgeons do are actually very subtle changes, which are not necessarily obvious to other people. Yet, if patients are expecting that uh, a cosmetic procedure is going to lead to this Cinderella-like transformation in their lives in terms of their social interactions, I I become concerned that they're setting themselves up for disappointment.
5: Yeah, and, and when you add on that a very interesting phenomena. We've all had patients who, you know, there's a quite a wide range of results with any aesthetic procedure. And the thing that has always impressed me over the years is I'll have a patient who I get what I think is an okay result, nothing spectacular, and they're thrilled. And then there's the other patient that you just are in awe of the result and think it's pure perfection, and they're miserable. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a real tip-off. Uh, that you probably operated on the wrong person yeah
2: you know, unfortunately that that's when you get a little bit too late uh, but you know there 's certainly a variety of results and a variety of perceptions of it and and there's also the differences in the patients coming to you the reasons they 're coming. And their health at the point that they come. We've been talking about things that could be good motivation, things that are a warning signs to us as plastic surgeons and warning signs to someone that might not be a good candidate for surgery. So the question really begs, should all patients be assessed before having a cosmetic procedure? You know, there used to be a show... Uh, There's been a number of shows about plastic surgery on TV, and some of them included the idea that they had an in-office psychologist that would see all the patients, which is pretty rare in the practice of plastic surgery in reality, but should it be? Can I
3: take, I'll, I'll take the first shot at this one. We've actually written on this, and what we've suggested is that there probably should be some screening done by the surgeon and his or her staff. I like to make the argument that, you know, regardless of the specialty in healthcare, care, um, you know, we're all, we're all supposed to take a, a history and a physical examination of our patients. And unfortunately, if we start looking at medical charts, what we begin to see is that many providers defer the psychiatric and psychosocial status section of the, that history form. I think for, for cosmetic procedures, it's critically important. So I will encourage surgeons to really make sure that they do assess the psychological issues in their patients. And then if they see something that's concerning, that's when they make a referral to a mental health professional. I think in the competitive environment in which all of you work, that if you started mandating psychological evaluations on patients, not only is that not supported by the evidence, I suspect you would then have a bunch of patients who say, I'm not going to do that and I'm not going to pay for that i 'm going to find a surgeon who 's not going to require me to do that
2: right I mean competitively that 's not going to be great for business right. and, and just realistically it 's unnecessary uh, You know based on what you 're saying and what I think most of us believe, but mm-hmm. there are those patients that uh, Dr. Fisher was alluding to earlier, and you kind of you get that sense that something 's not quite right, that something isn 't really settled within them, and maybe there 's an issue we need to discuss mm-hmm. and and those are patients I know in my practice. I might have a frank conversation with them. And, and let's talk a little bit you know, briefly about some of those issues that come up in life that may add to the stress and, and make you jump in before we get into more of the mental illness aspect. To my mind, people that have just gone through a divorce or going through a divorce or separation, that's a difficult thing. Someone who's just lost a relative, a close relative, whether it's a parent, uh, a spouse, a child, these major uh, events in your life, major negative events in your life can sometimes create a reaction that makes someone want to do the quote-unquote positive thing for themselves and make them seek these kind of things out when it's not the best time in their life to do that. Uh, Dr. Fisher, any other thoughts on that?
5: Yeah, matter of fact, I was going to say exactly what you said, which is the person is during a divorce. I mean, as you and I know, that's a relatively common event when you see people for aesthetic surgery, not so much of the loss of a loved one, but the separation, where you have to be very careful if there's a lot of anger in what's going on between the individuals in that divorce. And that anger could be transferred to you as the surgeon or your staff if they feel you're not creating that uh, event that's going to give them back their life. And so I think that's an extremely important point where you have to be so careful uh, when you're dealing with individuals.
2: Right. I just want to stress that the discussion we're having, Dr. Fisher and I are speaking as plastic surgeons, Dr. Claiborne and Dr. Sarwer are talking about it from the perspective of psychologists that are specialists in this field. We're not having this discussion and looking at ways for us to avoid caring for people. We're looking to keep people healthy and safe and really giving you the best experience at the right time in your life. Uh, Dr. Claiborne, we were talking about patients that... You know, not not being able, not or not having to. You, know, you shouldn't have to screen every patient that comes through, and you know, on there are perhaps only certain patients. Now, one of your special interests is body dysmorphic disorder. Speak to us a little bit about the the traits that someone might find in themselves, and that we as plastic surgeons might find in them that could be tip-offs to that because clearly body dif- dysmorphic disorder is one of the worst motivations to have a procedure done. So teach us a little bit about that. All right. Well,
4: you're absolutely right. It, that uh, If I were uh, to advise a plastic surgeon, I'd say if you think this person has body dysmorphic disorder, uh, at minimum, uh, ask them to talk to a mental health professional that's familiar with the problem and uh in most cases you're probably not going to want to do surgery on them because the the outcomes are are actually uh, very poor but uh i think you know you uh, don't need to be doing uh, on a routine basis any kind of extensive screening or sending anybody out for an extensive screening but you want to ask a few questions and you want to be looking for a couple of things and one uh, you've talked about you know, people that are in, in conflict, like uh, getting divorced or something like that, but uh, you want to ask a couple of quick questions about their general mood. If they're really significantly depressed, that's going to be a red flag for you. Uh, but if they uh, are talking about the concern about their body in terms that seem to you to be grossly exaggerated, so they're saying, you know, I look horrible, I'm repulsive. Uh, You know, people uh, are probably sickened by looking at me. Um, Then you you're uh, pretty much uh, assured that it's likely to be a case of body dysmorphic disorder. Um, If they, um, you know, talk about how much time they spend um, trying to compensate for the uh, presumed defect, you know, they talk about. Uh, I have a patient that I'm working with who says, you know, I have to hold my head in a particular position so that people don't see the uh, right side of her nose because uh, she's so concerned that the right side of her nose looks different from the left side of her nose and that it's horrible. Um, so she's always concerned about what position uh, her head is in relative to anyone she's talking to. Um, you know, frankly, uh, although I haven't gotten, you know, uh, within inches of her nose, uh, I can't see a difference. And, you know, the, the people are going to present in uh, the surgeon's office saying, uh, you know, I have this horrible, horrible problem. Uh, and when you look at them, you know, they're, uh, maybe they've got some sort of minor defect or uh, irregularity, but they're often very attractive people. Uh, and it, it just needs to, to be a, a very dramatic red flag for you.
5: It's interesting when you talk to these patients, as you just described, they don't see in the mirror what you see. They are seeing a different person, and it's very hard for us to conceptualize that sometimes. It's almost like uh, there's something wrong with the mirror, because they truly do see a different individual in that reflection than what we perceive.
2: Yeah, I mean, most of these patients do have very different views of themselves. We started the show talking about that, Dr. Sarwar, I think you were the one that that mentioned that people seeing themselves very differently from how the rest of the world sees them. You know, your self, your own self perception. So, is it too much to ask people to to have awareness within themselves? Is there anything that you can suggest, you know, for listeners? that might be thinking about something, feel maybe pretty strongly about one of their features or a couple of their features, what are things that someone you could ask yourself to see, you know, do I have body dysmorphic disorder? Am I, you know, can people be aware to that point?
3: Yeah, and I think a couple of, of good rules of thumb for your listeners if, if they're curious about that, but I, and I also think are value if you're thinking about undergoing a cosmetic procedure in general, which is can other people readily see what it is that you're concerned about. So if you're concerned about a bump on your nose and, and you say to your you know, a family member, a romantic partner, a good friend, you know, do you see this bump? And, and the person says, you know, actually I don't see the bump or as Dr. Claiborne was saying a moment ago, I don't see the difference from the left side to the right side. That can sometimes be a tip off that, that you're seeing things in your appearance that others aren't seeing. Um, I also agree that, that the amount of time that an individual spends thinking about or engaging in what we refer to as checking behaviors with their appearance uh, can, can be a sign that you're becoming preoccupied with your looks. Uh, you know, it's not, you know, we all will look at the mirror, You know, most of us look in the mirror in the mornings, we'll check it when we go into the washrooms throughout the day, we may look at our appearance in our rear view mirror in the car, but if you find yourself doing that repeatedly uh, throughout the day, looking in reflective surfaces, pulling out a mirror from a purse over and over again, Uh, that can be a sign that you become preoccupied thinking about your appearance throughout the day. And the analogy I like to use is, is it like that song you hear first thing in the morning that you can't get out of your your head? It's just with you all day. Is that what, is that the experience you have with your own thoughts about your appearance? And then finally, a lot of, of patients who are suffering with severe body image concerns like BDD will engage in what we call reassurance-seeking, that they'll go to their friends and family members and, and repeatedly say, how does this look today? How does this look today? Does it look different today? And that can be a, a sign as well that you're overly concerned about your appearance. And, and unfortunately, the evidence tells us, as Dr. Claiborne alluded to, that patients who have body dysmorphic disorder and undergo cosmetic procedures, greater than 90% of them don't benefit from them. So they either report no change, if not a worsening in their symptoms. So they've now spent a lot of time and energy and money seeking these treatments, even though they're not reducing
2: their symptoms. And we're certainly not in the business of making people even more unhappy. One of the best things about what we do is we really enrich people's lives and make them feel better about themselves and improve quality of life. So that's not what we're trying to do. It worsens the situation for someone who's got BDD or any other uh, mental illness that might Lead to a challenging or not such a great experience. Now, we've been talking a lot about how to prepare and how to, when you're in a good place to have a procedure, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back from the break, we're going to start talking about actually going through the procedure and how to recover from the procedure, you know, things that you can expect going through a procedure and ways to make yourself comfortable and ready so that you can have a good experience. So we'll be back after a few short messages right here on New Reflections.
1: Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health & Wellness. Cosmetic surgery is a big deal. Make sure you do your homework. Why? This is not my car I'm working on. I may settle for an okay job on that, but I won't settle for anything less when it comes to my body. Do your homework. My doctor trained with world-renowned plastic surgeons. My doctor is a fully board-certified plastic surgeon. My doctor is an MD and on staff at several Florida hospitals. My doctor is an associate professor of surgery at a major university. My doctor is Adam Rubenstein.
5: People pick a doctor based on trust. You can trust Dr. Rubenstein. He has the experience, knowledge, and artistic touch you're looking for. Call 305-792-7575. That's 305-792-7575. Call today for a free consultation. Dr. Adam Rubenstein, Turnberry Plastic Surgery at Biscayne Boulevard in the William Lehman Causeway, where medicine meets artistry.
0: My doctor is Adam Rubenstein
4: the business channel
1: want to know what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite voice America talk radio network host how about what's new with our network You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to New Reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein. If you have a question or comment for the host or this week's guests, please call 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You can also send an email to info at dr-rubenstein.com. That's info at dr-rubenstein.com. Now, back to New Reflections.
2: Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Adam Rubenstein, board-certified plastic surgeon. We're here with Dr. David Sarwer. He's a professor of psychology, University of Pennsylvania. Uh, Dr. James Claiborne, uh, psychologist and specialist in body dysmorphic disorder. And Dr. Jack Fisher, board-certified plastic surgeon and the president of the American Society for Aesthetic Plastic Surgery. If you'd like to uh, learn more about the show, you can follow me on Facebook at Miami Plastic Surgeon. You can also follow the show at New Reflections Radio. And you can uh, hit me on Twitter at Dr. Rubenstein. That's D-R Rubenstein, R-U-B-I-N-S-T-E-I-N. Now, getting back to the show, we were talking about ways to prepare. Now, let's talk about going through the procedure there's a lot of nervousness, and I always tell my patients, if you're not nervous, that makes me nervous because this is a significant step. Patients are making a big choice to come and have a procedure done, and if, if, if a patient doesn't have a little anxiety, to me, that's a warning sign. They shouldn't be going in, you know so cavalier and, and fancy-free fancy about having a significant surgical procedure, even though they're going to have, in all likelihood, a great result and, and be happy. There's something still, natural fear is normal. So let's talk a little bit about the stressful elements. Dr. Fisher, what have you found that your patients are most fearful when they're leading up to their procedure?
5: Some of it, it may be also loss of control, especially when we're doing the procedures under general anesthesia. But I agree with you totally. I like to hear the morning of the procedure when I'm seeing them uh, especially if it's under general anesthesia, to say, well, I'm a little anxious. And I point out that that's a healthy, normal thing. Uh, the person who comes in totally oblivious to what's going on, uh, actually is a, uh, uh somewhat of, uh, of a concern. Uh, but, uh, you know, the other thing I think is, especially if it's a long procedure, uh, several hours, uh, the normal anxiety is one, a little bit loss of control. And also, what are they going to see when they wake up? And I think it's very important for us as plastic surgeons to prepare patients. Uh, It it is not good to let them be surprised by what they see in the mirror the next few days after a procedure.
2: That's such a great point. You know, that's really important because so many patients wake up and what they see the day after or even hours after surgery is so different. From what they're envisioning they're going to be like, especially if you're talking about facial procedures. Now, we talked, I, I kind of hinted at the beginning of the show about something that happened not too long ago. Now, in the kind of mid to late January of this year, there is a patient by the name of Sandra Doriol. And Ms. Doriol is a, is a 50, she was a 53 year old jewelry designer of great renown who had flown to Beverly Hills to have surgery with uh, Dr. Novak in Beverly Hills, had an uneventful procedure. Things went well with, with no issues. She woke up in the morning and was reportedly agitated and anxious and then proceeded to remove all of her clothing and went to the top of the Camden Medical Arts Building in Beverly Hills where she sat at the edge of the building and walked along the edge of the building for about three hours while the police tried to talk with her and, and reassure her and get her to reconsider what she was apparently about to do. Uh, and unfortunately, she, she did jump to her death that morning. And this is, was a big incident that uh, really shook the, the Beverly Hills community and the, the greater uh, you know, cosmetic and aesthetic surgery world, uh, when it happened, we don't see this very often. Uh, Dr. Sarwer, what do you think might have been going through Ms. Doriol's mind? What leads to this type of behavior, do you think?
3: Yeah, this, this is a challenging one, Adam, because uh, you know obviously I wasn't involved in her care in any way, and I, I think I've been reading the same news stories that, that everyone else has been reading about this case, but, but one of the things that, that I have stumbled across and has been mentioned in these articles is there is this phenomena related to anesthesia, which is more or less a reactive psychosis, where a percentage of patients, a small percentage, um, less than 3 to 5%, Wake up and can have a psychotic-like reaction um, following general anesthesia, and it does seem to occur with greater frequency uh, with the, uh, the longer you're under general anesthesia. So the greater the amount of time, the more likely it is to happen. And then in a sizable percentage of these cases, these cases, the patients become so agitated it takes multiple members of the medical team to actually make them, restrain them and make them safe and make sure that they don't start pulling out their tubes and running down the hallway and, and so forth. And and given that there, you know we don't really know much else about her history, um, that seems to be the most logical explanation from the, the information available on what really happened. And, and I think it really underscores the importance of Patients going to facilities that where they are confident that they are getting you know that, that all the uh, appropriate medical resources are available to them to make sure that patients are safe after any surgical procedure
2: well I'm not sure that this is anything that that could have been avoided even in, in a, in a hospital. I think, uh, you know, in these things, you know, suicide attempts happen in hospitals as well. It, what's remarkable about this is, is this was someone who was uh, apparently very successful and otherwise happy with her life and engaged in many ways. And, uh, you know, all of the comments of her friends and family were that of, of disbelief and shock at, at this. You know, she was not someone that was suffering for all appearances with any mental illness. Uh, You know, Dr. Claiborne, talk to me, talk to us all about some of the diagnoses. You know, clearly in this case, this is not one more than likely that that perhaps had a clear uh, mental illness aspect to it. But certainly there may be certain diagnoses that if a patient comes to someone like me or Dr. Fisher with a known mental illness, that we have to be particularly worried about, we talked about body dysmorphic disorder, you know that and others. Tell us what are some of the things that, that uh, patients might be challenging with, might, might be challenged with in their daily life that lead to uh, a higher risk for this type of, of reaction after surgery?
4: Well, I think again, obviously, if uh, someone has uh, or suspect you suspect someone has a body dysmorphic disorder you would want to be uh, extremely concerned uh because as a uh, as a group people with body dysmorphic disorder have an extremely high incidence of suicide ideation and uh roughly a quarter of them uh actually attempt suicide at some point in their life but uh other Possible concerns include simply uh, a fairly common disorder, which is uh, some form of major depression or a related kind of condition, so that um, the person presents as uh, dysphoric, as uh, you know, finding life uh, meaningless or hopeless, um, you know, having uh, lack of, of pleasure or an ability to enjoy. Ordinary activities, things like that. Um, somebody with a uh, severe anxiety disorder, uh, including obsessive compulsive disorder um, or a panic disorder, may be um, at greater risk, um, just because they're they're not, um, you know, handling things very well or challenging situations very well in the first place. So I mean how
2: you know you're talking about anxiety issues I'm curious cuz we have a lot of patients here in Miami and I'm sure Dr. Fisher in Nashville doesn't uh, doesn't have two different uh, patient population but we'll have a certain set of patients come in and and they they do suffer with uh with the, some anxiety in their lives and and we'll see sometimes in their medical history uh that they take Certain anti-anxiety drugs. You know, people are are taking Valium or Xanax on a regular basis. Now, you're not suggesting that most people that might take an occasional Xanax or Valium are uh, are red flags. But you know, how do how do you know the difference?
4: Well, and, and it's it's a good question. Um, no, I'm not suggesting that somebody who is being treated for an anxiety disorder uh, with A standard anti-anxiety drug, uh, whether it's one of the benzodiazepines like uh, Valium or Xanax or with a more commonly used SSRI medication, uh, Prozac or Lexapro, one of those, uh, is necessarily uh, a red flag, but um, it's somebody that you might want to spend a little bit of extra time talking to them about their expectations or their concerns about what's going to happen if they're going to undergo surgery. Um and uh you know people that have uh panic like anxiety may well experience uh some significant anxiety undergoing anesthesia for example um because they're already uh prone to worrying about are they going to uh, be able to breathe or are they going to uh die from some uh, catastrophic uh event that is actually relatively unlikely um the other uh group of, of folks that I would be particularly concerned about are uh um, what suffering from what is uh commonly known as borderline personality disorder, and they may well have a history of self injury uh, they may have a history or are likely to have a history of uh multiple problems with relationships they may um, Seem to have uh, gone from uh, idealizing to demonizing uh, people in their lives, including uh, provider, medical care providers.
2: In yeah, you district. know, I was just going to ask you that actually, because every now and then, Dr. Fisher, I'm sure you see this, someone will come into the office and say, You know, I went to see Dr. Schwartz, and he was just terrible. Look what he did to me. This is awful. You know, I thought I could get it fixed, and I went to Dr. Jones. And that guy couldn't operate his way out of a wet paper bag, and you know. And I, I thought I'd found you know the real solution. Uh, I went to see Dr. Johnson, and God, it just made things worse. Yeah. You know. You know. These are the kind of people we see every now and then. So, yeah, as a as a plastic surgeon, it, and actually, if you're a patient and you just don't seem to be able to get satisfaction, you might you might want to look inward too, and and see if maybe you're uh, just not seeing things the way other people are. Uh, Now, as we talked about what happened in Beverly Hills, it was a tragedy completely. Now, Dr. Fisher, you had a patient years ago that went through a similar process, but the story ends a little bit better.
5: Well, it was, uh, yeah, it was um, a very strange situation. The patient had had aesthetic surgery and uh, then also made an uh, attempt to commit suicide by jumping, Uh, fortunately was not successful and in the interview afterwards the assumption would be the patient wasn't happy with the surgery. Turned out the patient was very happy with the surgery and had decided that before they would commit suicide uh, they wanted to look perfect or as good as they could. So talk about a very confusing situation. Uh, I'd be interested in hear what uh, my colleagues have to say in a situation like that.
2: Uh, Dr. Sarwar, what are your thoughts on that? Someone who uh, has already made the decision, kind of determined that, you know, I'm going to just end it all, but I want to have a good-looking open casket.
3: Yeah, except, except for the fact that you're jumping off a building when you're doing it. So I, I think what we worry about there is, I mean, that, that, that's really kind of a evidence of, of uh, you know, some delusional beliefs that, that really don't meet the sniff test in terms of logical, rational thinking. And would lead me to wonder, you know, was this a woman who was, was struggling with severe mental illness before she underwent the procedure in the first place? Which, I, again, I, from what my read of the case in Beverly Hills, uh, you know, most people seem to be suggesting that there really hasn't been any evidence released that this woman had any history of mental illness uh, and that, in fact, it may have been just a reaction to the anesthesia. And don't you think by the description of what
5: happened, the patient was probably hallucinating the whole time? because the way the end events were described may not even have been aware they were
3: doing what they were doing. In terms of the case in, in Beverly Hills? Yeah. Yeah, that that seems to and and that's consistent with what I've read is that patients wake up in this confused state in the recovery room and um you know, they may be thrashing around trying to pull the tubes off and as I said before, that's where multiple members of uh, of the medical team sometimes need to be involved to restrain them and make sure that they're safe and um, you know, if, if, if there weren't enough people around or if there was easy access for her to get off the floor, um, you know, that could, that could have been the, the beginning of the cascade of events that obviously led to this very unfortunate outcome.
5: Adam, one thing that you pointed out that I think is so important is that patient who comes in, as you described, and has said, well, the three other doctors were terrible, and I've heard you're wonderful, and I know you can fix me, and I'm here because I've heard nothing but good things about you, and I'm ready for you to take over and make me perfect.
2: Yeah, that's, this is a, a difficult thing, and as a, as plastic surgeons, I mean, any plastic surgeon that's been in practice long enough is going to hear that story, and uh, it it's, it's difficult. Now, I might ask uh, Dr. Sarwer or Dr. Claiborne, when you're a plastic surgeon, or, or if you have friends that are thinking about it, even even your social friends, may, you may see this in the behavior of a friend of yours. How can you tell? What what is your guideline, or your suggested guideline, for looking at someone and saying, "All right, well, you know, maybe this is an okay time for them to do it again." You know what I mean? Is Dr. Fisher and I, and many plastic surgeons throughout the country, have to make this choice on a fairly regular basis. We'll see someone, and you're kind of thinking, well, you know, someone that's coming for a, a revision of a procedure. And they come in, and, and they have a pretty reasonable idea of, of what they want, and it seems to be something that, that can be done. And it doesn't seem unrealistic in their, with their expectations, but still, it might be the second or third time they're making a go at it. And, and they'll come in, it seems pretty reasonable, but you always wonder in the back of your mind, gee, is, it, is this really getting to be too much? I mean, you know, are we starting a new Michael Jackson type of syndrome? What are your guidelines into fi- figuring that out? I mean, Michael Jackson's a great example of someone who just could never get satisfaction. Yeah, I think uh-huh. anytime you are,
3: uh, you as surgeons, and, and when I've had the opportunity to, to uh, present at your, you know, your meetings, whether it's for the Aesthetic Society or some of the other associations, um, you know, I talk about this, but but I think anytime a surgeon uh, is seeing a revision procedure, uh, the thought that BDD is a possibility should be in your mind. And I think it should be in the patient's mind because, um, you know, obviously if a patient comes in and, and you can readily see that the, the result wasn't aesthetically acceptable and the patient and you are in agreement that this doesn't look quite right and, and it's fixable, that's one thing. But when patients come in and Um, are saying, you know, I don't like the way that this looks and you as the surgeon are having trouble seeing it. Or as we were just saying, if they're disparaging their previous surgeon, um, and at the same time putting you up on the pedestal saying that, um, you know, you're, you're going to be the white knight who makes it all better. I think that's a red flag that you've got a patient who perhaps has body dysmorphic disorder or perhaps just maybe a patient who's never satisfied with the number of procedures that they're, they're, they're going to undertake and um you know if if the if we're in agreement that the goal of a cosmetic procedure is not only to to help improve cosmesis but also to to help overall uh, psychosocial functioning it would seem to me that that going ahead with procedures like that wouldn't be in the patient's best
2: interest Yeah, there's there's no doubt of that. Sometimes we all struggle with, uh, you know, are we doing the right thing? And it it can be difficult to know. Mm -hmm. We're going to take a short break now. And when we come back, we'll be discussing ways to help yourself get through this, uh, to go through the process with the best mental health picture that you can, preparing yourself for for the, uh, the surgery, getting through the surgery, and then being able to recover and knowing that you're going to get to that other side of the rainbow. You're going to get to the end of the rainbow at the end of this process. So we're going to be right back. Take just a short break. Keep listening. We'll hear we'll see you at the other side of the break on new reflections.
0: Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network, 1111 Talk Radio,
1: because shift happens. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Listening to New Reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein. If you have a question or comment for the host or this week's guests, please call 1 866 472 5792. Again, that's 1 866 472 5792. You can also send an email to info at dr-rubenstein.com. That's info at dr-rubenstein.com. Now, back to New Reflections.
2: Welcome back to the show. We've been having a fascinating discussion about the psychological aspects of plastic surgery. The name of the show, of course, is It's All in Your Head. Uh, And with us are Dr. David Sarwer, Dr. James Kleber, and Dr. Jack Fisher. We've been talking about everything that you would ever want to know about getting ready, choosing a procedure and, and what happens after the procedure, things to look out for. And we're going to talk a little bit about preparing to have the best experience everyone that has a cosmetic procedure knows that there's going to be some recovery process. There's anxiety leading up to it. There's the stress of having it done. So let's talk a little bit about ways to prepare. Dr. Fisher, what do you advise your patients in terms of having a good experience when they get to that day of surgery and then beyond?
5: Well, I think a lot of it, as we've already discuss, discussed, is the preparation, letting them know what's going to happen during the surgery, what they're going to experience afterwards. The other thing that I've always noticed is if they have a supportive family or some family or friends around during that post-operative and recovery phase, that makes a big difference. Uh, the patient that really is somewhat isolated or doesn't have a lot of contacts in their community It's a little more stressful for them during that recovery phase. The other thing is, and this is something we all do as plastic surgeons, is seeing patients in that early postoperative period and reinforcing that the swelling or the bruising or whatever they see is totally normal and this will resolve. Uh, You know, patients haven't had these procedures before, and they need input from us that what they're seeing is the normal evolution in that recovery phase
2: now it, it, there's there's so much for people to be concerned about, and having that support network around them is really important, uh, Dr. Sarwar, your thoughts on guiding someone through this process
3: yeah I agree I think uh, as I said earlier that that making sure that patients themselves are doing are internally motivated that they're doing this for themselves, not really to please other people. I also think the the value of having realistic expectations and Um, You know, I'm often with the surgeons I collaborate with at Penn, I'm often brought in when patients are struggling emotionally a week or two after surgery um, and will sometimes undergo, go through a period of what I call the post-operative blues where they're just a little bit down and, you know, they're still bruised and banged up, but they're not back to full activity um, because these are oftentimes very active, engaged people. And if they're socially isolated uh, as a recovering, as Dr. Fisher alluded to, Sometimes what happens is they, they, you know, their moods bottom out a little bit, and then as they begin to feel better physically, the further they get better out, they they really seem to come into their own in terms of their uh, feeling better about themselves after surgery.
4: Doctor Clayburn, anything to add? Yeah, I, I certainly. First of all, I want to agree with the things that have been said, but I want to say that that it's most important, I think, to have people well prepared in terms of what to expect in terms of pain, swelling, bruising things like that, and what the recovery period is expected to look like so that they have a very realistic idea of what they're going to go through and are not surprised or, uh, you know, expecting they're going to wake up the next day looking beautiful and uh, with no uh, residuals that are actually the normal expectations following surgery. Uh, Preparation it would, it seems it to be
5: the kind of the running thing. Point, and that is unfortunately with some of the heavy marketing that's out there, patients are given unrealistic expectations, and they see these ads where you can have a major procedure and go back to work and look fine the next day. That's become a big problem.
2: Yeah, you know, expectation is important. Actually, that's a great segue for me to talk about what's coming up in our next episode. I talked about it at the top of the show. We are going to be talking about keeping things safe and making good choices. It's always a running theme on New Reflections. Everyone that listens to the show knows you should be going only to board-certified plastic surgeons for these type of procedures, putting yourself in the best circumstance. But we'll be talking about getting prepared. And and you'll have a better experience for a lot of the reasons we've been talking about. When you know what you're getting into, you're well-informed, and that's going to happen when you make good choices. Gentlemen, this has been a great discussion. I want to give each of you a little bit of time to talk about how someone can reach out to you. Maybe they've heard the show and they're motivated. They feel like, you know, I think maybe I could be one of those people. Uh, Dr. Claiborne, how does someone reach you if they want to try and maybe speak with you and get a little help?
4: Well, the, the easiest thing actually is to either email me or go to my website. There's a, a, a link on my website to emailing me, and my website is dr as in dr Clayborne C L A I B O R N dot info, and uh, I would be glad to uh, respond to emails or inquiries. Uh, talk about. Uh, psychological concerns, uh, body dysmorphic
2: disorder-related kinds of topics. Terrific. Dr. Sarwer, how does someone get a hold of you? So I'm a, I'm a
3: faculty member at the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia, so if uh, there are people who uh, have concerns about their appearance or are thinking about undergoing cosmetic procedures, they can reach me through the, the University of Pennsylvania's website, which is pennmedicine.org.
2: Excellent. And Dr. Fisher... Anyone thinking about having a cosmetic procedure around the Nashville area or parts beyond, how are they going to reach out and find you? Uh, uh,
5: it's Dr. Jack Fisher, uh, and uh, it's Dr. Jack Fisher on the website. And uh, my uh, email, which is always an easy way to communicate, is uh, jfisher at drjackfisher.com.
2: Terrific. Well, I want to thank everybody for coming on the show. It's been a great discussion, and you never feel like you get through everything, but we really gave a pretty good tour of this very serious issue. I want to thank my guests, uh, Dr. Uh, Claiborne, who uh, is a specialist in body dysmorphic disorder. Joining us, Dr. David Sarwer, professor of psychology at University of Pennsylvania, and Dr. Fisher, board-certified plastic surgeon and president of the American Society for Aesthetic Plastic Surgery. As I mentioned, next week we're going to be doing a show on patient safety. Make sure you tune in. This is an important topic, and we want to make sure we're helping you Make good decisions. On more future shows, we'll be talking about stem cells, uh, robotic surgery, chiropractics, lots of great topics. Tune in every Saturday, 12 to 1 Eastern, 9 to 10 Pacific, on New Reflections. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again soon.
1: We hope you stayed informed and entertained today on New Reflections. Please join your host, Dr. Adam Rubenstein, again next Saturday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time. You can also email the doctor at info at dr-rubenstein.com or visit his website at www.dr-rubenstein.com. And don't forget to join us next Saturday for new reflections on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a beautiful weekend.